0: Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca/jsb. Accepting Jesus as your Savior makes such a difference in your life and your eternity. You just can't keep the news to yourself. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah explains why the desire to share Christ with others is so powerful among new believers, as illustrated in the story of the woman at the well. Listen now as David concludes his message, Is He Seeking Us or Are We Seeking Him?
1: Well, today we open our Bibles again to John chapter 4, and uh, we're asking this question about the seeking Savior. Uh, This question is meant to probe our thoughts and our hearts. Is He seeking us or are we seeking Him? We seek Him because He first sought us, just like we love Him because He first loved us. It's an amazing truth, and we'll dig into it here in just a few moments as we open our Bibles together. So excited to be telling you this month about our brand new book that just came out. I've only had this book a couple of days. It's called The Jesus You May Not Know. And let me describe the cover of it. It has the terms, the Jesus You May Not Know, in white um, raised print. And the cover of the book is purple, my wife's favorite color. If you ever come to visit us at Turning Point, she has an office here in the Turning Point headquarters building, and it's purple. She loves purple. And uh, so we we can't make every book a purple book, but this is a purple book. And it's got a wonderful cover, a beautiful cover with some gold around the edges. But when you open the book, the most important thing is inside the book is the story of Jesus, the wonderful Savior of the world, my best friend, the God-man who changed my life and who gave me this incredible opportunity to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ for all these years. I want so badly for you to know him. If you don't know him, I want to recommend him to you. And I pray that as you listen to these messages during the month of May, you'll be drawn to him as so many have been. If you have never done so, I pray that at the end of this program, or perhaps even right now, you will bow your head and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And we'd love you to have this book. So here's how you do that. During this time of the coronavirus, when everything is shut down, Turning Point is not. We're continuing to broadcast every day, and uh, your gift during this time means a great deal. So when you send a gift of any size, large or small, we want to send you this book, The Jesus You May Not Know. It's 150-plus pages, hardback. Beautifully designed, but most of all, filled with the truth about our Savior. So be sure to ask for the book when you send your gift to Turning Point today. Simply say, send me the book, The Jesus You May Not Know. This is not only a book you'll read, it's one you'll share with others. And by the way, friends, there's a study guide you can get from Turning Point at our website, which is davidjeremiah.org. And you can also get the CD package, which is the teaching, the audio teaching of the entire book. Please inquire about that today. And... um, Now let's get back into our study. Is he seeking us or are we seeking him? We're about to see some things Jesus did with this Samaritan woman as he tried to reach her heart. First of all, he identifies with our humanity. First thing Jesus did upon meeting the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well was to ask her for a drink of water. Verse six says, he sat down by the well because he was weary from walking such a long way. He had sent the disciples into Sychar to buy food. So Jesus was hungry and thirsty and weary, and the humanity of Jesus could not have been more plain to see. For that reason, the Samaritan woman identified with him, not as God, but as a fellow human being who needed some water and some rest. How many of you know that when God Almighty wanted to send love to us from heaven, he didn't send it, in a book, he didn't send it in the Holy Spirit, he sent his love to us in a human being, someone just like we are. He lived and walked on this earth and as we learned earlier, he will be forever in his humanity in heaven. That is the reason God did that. He sent someone to share with us his love and he sent the gift in such a way that we would identify with it. We identify with Jesus. We see him as we see ourselves yet he was apart from sin. So Jesus sat down that day at the well and he identified with this woman in his humanity. The Father sent the Son into the world that we might identify with him. How many of you know if Jesus had arrived in Sychar that day in his total divine majesty, he would have freaked that woman out he would have never had a conversation with her at all. She would have immediately retreated, gone back to her city. God appeared to her in a way she could identify with and relate to, which is how he comes to us as well and how we ought to go to others, not in a we are better than you are. We need to tell you how sinful you are so you can become a Christian like we are. You won't win anybody to Christ like that. You identify with them as in your humanity, You ask about their needs. You talk to them about their struggles. You show interest in their life. Secondly, he invites our curiosity. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Can you imagine what that woman thought when he got done talking? She said, What? What are you talking about? We can learn so much from observing how Jesus related to people. He wasn't looking for a decision, as we often do when speaking with a non-Christian. He was patient, and he sought to draw that person into the conversation, allowing her to see her own need. Jesus didn't ever extend an invitation. He waited for the people to invite themselves, and he did it masterfully. In John 4, 9 through 14, we have the first part of their back-and-forth conversation. Here's how it goes. She ends up asking Jesus all the right questions. Why are you willing to ask me for a drink? Where do you get living water? Are you greater than Jacob who drank from this well? He didn't have living water, did he? It would be ideal if everyone we talked to who didn't know the Lord was so intrigued with our life that they began asking all the right questions to us. Jesus isn't questioning this woman. He's drawn her into the conversation in such a way that she's questioning him. She's asking him the right questions. She was completely taken by this stranger from Judea who told her about living water. They were having this conversation by a well, and Jesus told her about water that would allow her never to thirst again. And he had her right in the palm of his hand. He was a master at using his surroundings to preach the gospel. She was there at noon because the other women in the community wouldn't associate with her because of her past. And Jesus is telling her about water that would quench her thirst forever. She's thinking about physical water, and obviously if I get this water, I won't have to come back to this well again. But Jesus is patiently bringing her along using physical illustrations to illustrate spiritual truth. He identifies with our humanity, and he somehow gets into our curiosity. And then thirdly, he insists on our honesty. You say, how do you get people to acknowledge that they need Christ? Watch Jesus. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. I don't want to come back here again if I don't have to. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you have spoken truly. And here's the most wonderful sentence in the Gospel of John. And the woman said to him, Sir... I perceive you are a prophet. No kidding. I mean, this man just told her everything about her life, and her comment was, you know, I've just had a moment of perception. I perceive you're a prophet. Jesus has to get this woman to be honest about who she is so she can be honest about her spiritual need. The conversation continues and Jesus reveals that he knows that she has five husbands in the past and the man she lives with now is not her husband. And she makes what is perhaps this great understatement in the Scripture. A man she's never met before knows her life story. Jesus wasn't trying to intimidate her. He wasn't trying to embarrass this poor woman. She had obviously lived a very difficult life and he was very sensitive to that but it was necessary for her to reveal her true thirst. If living water was going to mean anything at all to this woman, she needed to be honest about her moral failures and her sin. If she was going to be able to appreciate God's forgiveness, she had to be honest about her life. Let me tell you something, men and women. Anyone who wants to become a Christian must be willing to confess his or her sins before God. A person who won't confess his sin is in effect saying, I don't have any sins and a person who doesn't have any sins doesn't need any Savior That's why it's important when you come to Christ that you recognize that you're a sinner My father used to tell me as a young boy when he was preaching He said, you know being a preacher of a church full of a lot of religious people The problem is you got to get most of them lost before you can get them saved What he was saying was a lot of people come to church who feel like they're okay And they will never come to Christ until they understand that if you haven't had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't go to heaven, no matter how good you may think you are. We used to have a program that I used when I started the church in Fort Wayne, and we still use it some today. It's called Evangelism Explosion. And one of the questions you would ask people when you would share faith with them was this. If you should die today and stand before God in heaven, and he would say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And I've asked that question to literally hundreds of people. And the most often given answer is, I was a good husband, I'm a good father, I haven't committed any terrible crimes, I'm probably not the best person I could be, but I'm a lot better than most people that I know, and all of this diatribe about one's goodness. But that's not what you need to understand. What you need to understand is, the Bible says that all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags before God because they have no meaning, they have no standing. I don't care how good you are, how much you have done, how much you've given, where you go with your life, who you touch, how sensitive and compassionate you are. The Bible says that until you come to Christ and acknowledge your emptiness without him, you cannot be a Christian. And the Bible gives us this very important statement. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You say, Pastor Jeremiah, what does it mean to sin? It means to come short of the glory of God, to miss the absolute standard. It means that if we're going to go to heaven, there's only two ways that would be possible. One is to live a perfect life and never, ever do one sin, and then you could stand before God in heaven and say, I have never once sinned in my whole life, either in omission or commission. In any possible—anyone here want to try that way? I don't think you're going to make it because I don't care how good you are. There's no one who is like that. There is none that doeth good. No, not one, says the scripture. So what's the other option? To acknowledge that way number one doesn't work because you're a flawed human being and you're a sinner. And to say, Lord God, I can't come to heaven by myself because I have sinned. I repent of my sin and receive you as my Savior. What Jesus was doing that day with this woman was in a kind and yet very powerful way, helping her to understand that she was lost and that she needed to be saved, and she needed someone to do that in her behalf. So he insists on our honesty, and then he invalidates our religiosity. Unfortunately, when Jesus brought this woman's past up, she wasn't immediately eager to talk about it. Now, we can all understand why. So she did what we sometimes do. She changed the subject. Jesus is talking to her about her sin, and she wants to have a little discussion about worship. She decided to bring up her religious heritage as a sort of smokescreen to hide her failings. So here we have verses 20 and 24. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, she said. Jesus just told her she's a sinner, that she's living in sin. And her answer to that was, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. What does that have to do with anything? (laughs) Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the father. You worship what you do not know, and we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. The hour is coming, he said, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Instead of talking about her personal life, she said, hey, Jesus, let's have a discussion about worship. But Jesus corrected her, and he brought her right back to where she jumped off the trail. It is common to use religion as a defense against sin, as I've illustrated with my story about what people say when you ask them about going to heaven. But not so with God. God is seeking those who will worship him in truth. Now, notice what happens next. He initiates our responsibility. In verse 25, the woman says to Jesus after he reconfronts her, I know that Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. In other words, I'm not going to get into this argument. I'm going to wait for the Messiah to come. And when the Messiah comes, he'll intervene in this discussion we're having, and we'll know who's right and who's wrong. And Jesus looked right at her and said to her, Woman, I who speak to you am he. You talk about a moment in the Bible. The Samaritan woman was about to discover her responsibility. It was personal and spiritual, not traditional and religious. And when Jesus challenged her understanding of worship, she thought it had to be done by going to a certain place. She talked about the Messiah, and then Jesus dropped this bombshell. He says to her, Lady, you don't have to wait for the Messiah. He's here. I who speak to you am he. Can you imagine what she must have thought? I mean, having lived with the anticipation and the expectation of the Messiah's appearance, which was true of all those who had come through that Judaistic tree, she's now being told that the Messiah is the one who just asked her for a drink of water and the ball was in her court. They had conversed. They had talked about religion and theology. Now it was time for her to make a personal decision. Do I reject the Messiah or accept him? And it is the same decision every individual must make when confronted with the reality of his presence. Let me say this to you, men and women. There is no middle ground when it comes to Jesus. There isn't. You're either for him or you're against him. You say, well, I'm not against Jesus. Well, if you're not for him, you're against him. You say, well, I'm just going to be kind of in the middle. No, there's no middle ground. Jesus himself said, if you're not for me, you're against me. You either become a Christian or you're a non-Christian. You either are forgiven or you're not forgiven. You either have your guilt or you've given up your guilt to Jesus. Jesus brought this woman to a position where the only situation she had in front of her was, here is Jesus saying he's the Messiah. She either has to accept it or she has to reject it. Now, by reading the rest of the story, we find out what she did. For now we see how Jesus sends us in verses 27 to 30. At this point, his disciples came back. Jesus is at this well talking to this woman. And because they know the cultural norms, they marvel that he talked with a woman. Yet nobody said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? The woman then left her water pot and she went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they went out of the city and came to him. You think that woman accepted the Messiah? She absolutely did. You know how I know? First thing a person does when they get saved is they want to go tell somebody. The first thing she did when she realized she had met the Messiah is to go back home and go back and tell these people who she had met. The Bible says she left Jesus present. She went to Sychar violating every cultural norm she told the men of the town what had happened and who she had met and they believed her and returned with her to see jesus she didn't have a very good reputation in sychar and she had been married to five of the men who probably were in the group who went back with her to meet jesus yet in spite of her checkered past the men of sychar saw something in this woman that was so different than anything they'd ever seen before that they followed her out of the city to see Jesus. And then we read finally in verses 39 and 42, many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all things that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, For we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Here's an interesting thing you may not know about Jesus. The first time the phrase, the Savior of the world is used in the Bible, it comes from the lips of the despised Samaritans. The Samaritans are the first to say, Jesus is the Savior of the world. The outcast Samaritans became the first to call Jesus Christ the Savior of the world. And the whole town was changed because of that conversation Jesus had that day with that woman at the well. So where does that leave us when we study this story? I would imagine that if we had time today and you were willing to do it, we could say, okay, for the rest of the morning, here's a pad of paper and a pencil. Tell me how Jesus sought you. And you don't have a story how down through the ages, through the past, he sought you. It even begins before your own generation. I think of my own life, for instance. My father, Dr. James T. Jeremiah, grew up in a home with an ungodly father and a mother who was very religious, but probably not a believer. He had no possibility of knowing Christ if Jesus Christ hadn't sought him but he sought him. And you know how he got him? He lived near a church, and they had a basketball league, and one day he found out that he could go to that church on Saturday and play basketball, but in order to do it, there was no cost. He had to go to church on Sunday morning. And my father went and he played in that basketball league, and he went to church. You want to say he found Jesus, but he didn't find Jesus. Jesus found him, and he took him out of that ungodly family. My grandfather ultimately was saved in the last hours before he died. And he brought my father out of that. In that very city, there was a Bible college. Somehow my dad was instructed he should go to Bible college. He went to Bible college. There he met my mother. And the rest is the story of what's happened to the Jeremiah family. But it all started with God seeking out a man. Who had no way of ever knowing about Jesus if God hadn't come down and sought him out, and he did it through the strategy of basketball. I can't think of anything that gives me more joy than thinking about that. Amen. I want to tell you that Jesus is the savior of the world, and he is still seeking and saving the lost. He even overcomes the barrier of our own stubbornness and resistance. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, let me tell you something I know about you. Jesus is seeking you. He got you here today. You could be any place. You could be on the golf course. You could be watching a Little League game. You could be anywhere else, but you're here for this message about the gospel. He's seeking you. Now, if you want him to keep after you, walk out of here without accepting him. But if you want to know the joy of salvation, listen to your heart and open your heart and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. He loves you. He sent his Son to seek and save you. He will not force himself upon you. He will not break down the door of your heart. You have to open it from the inside and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I want you to be my Savior. Amen. You're going to hear that a lot this month. I can't talk about Jesus at all without telling you about Him and wanting you to know Him, telling you how you can know Him, just simply inviting Him into your life and accepting Him as your Savior, asking Him to forgive your sin. He does it. There's no um, special formula that you have to have. You just have to have an honest, seeking heart to say to the Lord Jesus, "I'm, I'm not complete without you. I don't want to live my life without you in my heart and in my life. So please come, take up your residence within me. He does that for every single person who asks him. He will do that for you, and he will change your life. I'll tell you what, a lot of us are thinking a lot more deeply during these days than we have in the past, and there's never been a better time for you to make the decision that will change the rest of your life in a new and special way. You will never get over what happens during these days, but you'll get through it. And when you get through it, at the other end, I hope you determine in your heart that you're going to spend the rest of your life walking with the Lord. I don't know how you get through things like this if you don't have a relationship with Him, but don't ever let it happen to you again. Make sure Jesus Christ is your Savior today. Let us know if we can help. I'll be here tomorrow. Thanks for listening.
0: The message you just heard originated at Shadow Mountain Community Church with Senior Pastor Dr. David Jeremiah. Share with us the difference Turning Point is making in your life. Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 70509, RPO Oak Street, Vancouver, B.C., V6M 0A3. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, The Jesus You May Not Know. It's written to give you a deeper intimacy with Christ, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart device, or, if you prefer, search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries for instant access to our programs and resources. Contact us today. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Jesus You May Not Know, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with Airship Genesis Legendary Bible Adventures from Turning Point. Tune in to our monthly audio adventures and join the Genesis Exploration Squad as they travel back in time to experience the stories of the Bible firsthand and discover life-changing lessons. Also available is the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, packed with the biblical content specifically written for kids, from trusted Bible teacher, Dr. David Jeremiah. You can also download our Airship Genesis mobile game on your favorite smart device and play as your favorite characters in this puzzle adventure game as the squad experiences the life of Jesus firsthand. Just go to your app store and type the keywords Airship Genesis. For more details or to order a copy of the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, visit our website at airshipgenesis.com Bible. That's airshipgenesis.com Bible. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society.